Well, Rachel Unmuted, welcome. I am so excited to talk. Uh, I've looked at your profile a number of different times and we've recently just connected, but I'm so, so fascinated by your background and how you have become unmuted and really just looking to, you know, hear a little bit more about your journey and about your story. Yeah, well, I mean, we can kind of start anywhere with that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I read in the very beginning that you kind of felt like you didn't really have a voice in the, you know, kind of earlier part of your life. And so was there one thing that happened for you that allowed you to say, it's time for me to start expressing my opinion, to start, you know, validating my thoughts or, you know, just kind of putting my thoughts out there. Mm. Well, I'd say the two things that I muted the most growing up were my emotions um, because I was a good kid. And so I wanted to act like I was fine. All the, you know, part of mm -hmm. that persona is I'm fine. I'm fine. I can handle it. I'm good. I've got it. Which means that when you're really struggling or in pain, you don't really tell people because yeah. that's not what like the good together person does. Mm -hmm. So I learned to silence that for a while. And then the other thing that I silenced and a lot of it was out of fear of rejection. Like, I mean, most of us have some type yeah. of fear, right? Of, of course. Like, am I going to be good enough? Are people going to reject me? Are people going to make fun of me? And so for me, even though I loved, loved, loved to sing, I was really terrified like to do that in front of people. Sure. Um, and so those were two things that growing up, I silenced, I silenced a lot. Mm. And part of it was my parents were going through um, some challenges in their marriage. And so I learned, you know, people internalize dysfunction and crisis in different ways. And sure. Sure. My, my brother was like the diffusing bomb in the corner that would just like, you know, act out. And that's how he got attention. And then mm -hmm. I got attention by just being, you know, as I said, being good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's um, you say that in that beginning part really resonates with me because I'm a very emotional person. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I'm a very sensitive individual. And so for most of my life, I didn't really understand it. And so I silenced that part of me. I didn't realize that that was my strength. I didn't realize that that was what gave me, you know, kind of a little bit more validation of kind of who I am. And so once I started to accept that about myself, then I no longer cared about if somebody you know, was like, oh, you're being sensitive. And it's just like, yeah, well, that's who I am. So that's how I'm going to act. And that's how I'm <laughs> going to, you know, be. But before that, it was just like, oh, am I being too sensitive? Are these, are these emotions, are these feelings that I have, should I not have them? You know? Because right. yeah, they don't get, I mean, especially for men, but they don't get and, and men, little boys, they really don't get validated, right? It's like buck up, you know? Oh, yeah. It's just in, you know, and I've always considered myself like a, a strong kid. I've always been a big kid, you know, but then here I am, this this sensitive person and my wife will, you know, she laughs sometimes because we're watching commercials and all of a sudden something hits me and she turns around. She's like, are you crying? And I'm just like, well, you know, it was emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. But, you know, when you're when you're 10 and 11 and trying to figure things out, it's hard to understand that. And so I love that you've taken that and really worked to now help people understand that that 
that they can, you know, express those emotions and express those feelings. And so Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you do that for folks? Like what's, what's the biggest, you know, kind of reward that you get from kind of some of that transition? Well, it's interesting. I I get a lot of comments. So I'm very, I'm most active on LinkedIn, right? I share a lot of content on there, a lot of stories, videos, just like personal anecdotes, thoughts about things. And there was a woman yesterday who messaged me and said, I've been following your work. So your posts are like a salve is the Mm. word that she used. So I was like, wow, that's like a really powerful, really powerful word. And I've had other people say it's like a soothing gut punch. So like, you're going (laughs) to... I'm like, is that a good thing? <laughs> well, sometimes we all need that reality check, but the way that you deliver it isn't so harsh, right? <laughs> exactly. Like I'm not somebody who's like in your face. Like that's so not my style. My style is yeah. more like, let me just tell the truth. You may feel a little something, but you're going to end up feeling comforted on the other side of this. And so yeah. for me, a lot of it is sharing my own journey my own thought journey, my own journey of of overcoming struggles, my own journey of still being in. I think we often hear the after story for everybody. We're like, here's the before story. My life sucked. And then here's the after story. Everything's amazing. And what I do is I tell the middle story mm. also. Well, because we're all in it, like in the yeah. things that you probably dealt with, just like anybody who has something or like a trauma or anything that they're dealing with, it's, it's always going to kind of be there, but you learn to... You learn to manage it. You learn what's best for yourself and how to mitigate that. But it doesn't just because you you teach it and coach it doesn't mean that you no longer feel it, you know, and I think that that's really what allows for the best coaching is to say, hey, listen, this is these are honest things that you're working with. These are things that I still work with, but here's how I work through them. And here's how I manage that for myself. Yeah, like I think it adds to the credibility. I never trust someone who's like, I've figured it out. Here's my seven (laughs) problems. I'm like, I do not trust you for a second because that does not hint of any humility. And I think nothing's perfect, right? Like there is no perfect system. And it's just a matter of constantly working at it, constantly evolving, constantly being a little bit better than you were yesterday. Yeah, well, speaking of getting unmuted, I've been asked um, on podcasts, Rachel, what is your, what is your like four, three, five step process to getting unmuted? I'm like, I mean, I have things that I guide people through that are reflective and things that I invite them into. I I like to invite people like my style is invitation, not a prescription. Like I don't do, I'm not a doctor. I'm, I, I, you know, I invite people to consider, right. Mm -hmm. I I like to awaken, to activate people. I'm a catalyst, right? Exactly. And so, it's not my job to tell you, you know, Scott, here are the three steps you need to do. <laughs> well, and that's a bit naive to think that if you if you do these three things, that this is what's going to happen because everyone's got their own journey. Everyone's going to handle and come into a situation just a little bit differently. So they're going to get just something different out of it. Nice. And so it is different for everyone, but the process and the way that you work through it is still the same, right? Like, so you can, you can kind of move through things, but yet you get to go through your own pace and, you know, what may be challenging for one person is going to be easier for somebody else. So it is, it's just, it's, you know, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of just do this and everything is great. Well, you know, it's a constant evolution. Yeah. Like says, says who, and I mean, I do have certain, um, you know, 
frameworks in the sense of like, of I course. Think we silence our body. I know you've talked, you know, and I know you have an interest too in around like functional medicine. And I've, you know, mm -hmm. years ago fired all my doctors because of a lifetime of health issues, chronic health issues I had growing up that they weren't listening to me. And so I was muting my my things my body needed. And once I got connected to the right healthcare professionals that mm. understood that the body is an interconnected system, I started to get support and my body started to heal and I got off of medications and I stopped having certain chronic issues like bronchitis and and um, ear infections and acid reflux, like things that I- No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that? So, so, you know, and I know that today's medicine is really all about, okay, well, we'll fix this with this, but then that causes something else <laughs> instead, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, I'm not one that likes to take medication. I have to take something for my asthma. Sure. Uh, I've had it since I was four and I notice a difference, but if I don't, uh, because believe me, I've tried to get off of it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that there are some some still holistic ways that I haven't really explored to uh, to try to do some of that. But so what was some of that like for you? Like, so what what was going on for you? And, and how did you then decide that? I don't want to do this anymore. Let me explore something else. Um, well, so this, this will be the, this will be the unmuting your body portion of our conversation. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, so growing up, I had some, from the time I was four years old, I had chronic ear, nose and throat infections. Um, mm. I had about half a dozen surgeries by the time I was 16. Um, I have currently a, a gaping, you know, 20 years later, a gaping hole in my left eardrum and about a 60% hearing loss as a result of oh, wow. all of the infections and scarring. I've, I've just gotten used to like accepting the, it's not, it's normal to me, right? It's we normalize sure. things because yeah. we just, I'm used to basically having a 20 to 25% hearing reduction. And it's, yeah. I don't know any different at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I had these chronic infections and then it was just, you know, here's another antibiotic. Here's more amoxicillin. I liked, I had so much amoxicillin, the pink bottle that I, I liked, I actually liked the taste of it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not good. <laughs> but it just speaks to how much you you had it. I had it a lot and, yeah. and I had it a lot. And I was sick. I mean, I remember there was one year in school where I had perfect attendance. And I was like, how does this? Because I, I just never did. You know, I think in third grade, I missed three weeks of school for like for for being for being sick and having infections and having surgeries. And and then when I was about 16, 17, I started to develop acid reflux mm. um, and didn't know what it was. I was very embarrassed about it. I was like, what is happening? Why is this? Oh, this is gross. Mm -hmm. um, and so I didn't really say much about it because I was like, well, this is kind of weird. Mm. And then eventually the pain was so much that I had to say something and I had to see a doctor. Um, it was really, I had gotten, it was the summer of 2004 and I had gotten really sick with something called parvovirus, which is something mm. that dogs get, actually. So I don't yeah. even know how I got it, but it led to, they tested me for mono three times, mm. all came back negative. I just had like, like intense joint pain. I had immense fatigue. I lost um, my sense of taste as a result of the medicine that I had to go on. Oh, wow. And it was just really bad. And then yeah. my reflux flared big time. And then I, that's when I started going on medication. So I was 20 years old, um, acid reflux medication. And I stayed on it for another, you know, eight, eight years. Um, 
I wow. guess seven, eight year. Yeah. So 2004, 2013. Yeah. So almost, almost 10 years I was on that medicine Be- and I was terrified to eat without it. Um, and then something really interesting started to happen. I was, I've always had an interest in health and wellness. And so in, yeah. in 2007, when I, uh, I had been out of college for, for a year and I started working at a company, an insurance broker that I had been at every summer in, in college as an intern. Mm-hmm. And so I took my, you know, my degree in psychology, my interest in health and wellness, and I, and I started on this track of corporate, corporate wellness. And in 2010, I had come across a group of people that were called health coaches. And we brought them in and we did a program with them. We did a, a, a sugar detox and we had to get rid of, you know, dairy and gluten and corn and soy and, and processed sugar and, you know, a bunch of other things. Yeah. And I remember like how different I started to feel doing this. And I noticed I kind of kept it up for a bit longer. And it was the first winter that I didn't have congestion, like mm. that I could remember. Yeah. And I was like, what is that? That's so, what is this about? And so I, you know, a little while after that, um, in 2012, I went to grad school. And in 2013, I became a health coach. And I was going through these trainings and listening to these people on, you know, teaching about the body and about these holistic approaches to, 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 to the body and to health issues. And this one guy gets on and he's an allergy, he's an allergy specialist. And he goes, what often starts in colic as a baby progresses into ENT issues as a child and then digestive issues as an adult. And I'm like, literally. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> I was like, pause, rewind. Did you, are you in my life? Like, what is happening right now? Yeah. And so he said, is often um, a dairy intolerance. And I was like, shut the front door. Like, yeah. I grew up on yogurt. I had ice cream cake every birthday. I had a family-sized container of Kraft Parmesan cheese in my house at all times. Mm-hmm. Like I grilled cheese was the only sandwich I would eat. Um, I was like, how did I just started to have this moment of how come no one told me this? Or how would how come no one thought of it? How come no one said let's test you for maybe some allergies, maybe some food allergies, maybe think of more about what's happening to you than just let's fix this one thing. And I think that that's, you know, doctors get paid to fix you. Um, But shouldn't they also kind of truly look at understanding? And I've had some interesting conversations with some doctors recently who have opened up some, some direct primary care uh, practices. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the one thing that this individual, you know, has that you say is that he's really looking, he's like, I could go and make a lot more money, you know, somewhere else. He's like, but, you know, I care about what's happening for my patients. And, um, and it is, you know, I think that it's a shame that we can't go and have these conversations and understand what's happening. And, and then for people to say, well, let's just explore this versus just take this prescription. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's like some, and there's a blend, you know, like there's, of course, there's, like you said, right. Like I take medicine for my asthma or like, you know, if I have immense, and we're having real life conversation here. If I have immense cramping, I'm going to take t- like some Tylenol, like I'm oh, doing yeah. other things, but I'm like, I'm not going to sit there and suffer just to be stubborn. 
like exactly you know so there are things that work and you know and when i'm feeling pain i i will take some some things for that but for the most part i really do like to have just that healthy eating and really what i noticed for me <clears throat> was i had gotten up to a place where for myself, I was, I was unhealthy. I've always been a big guy. Mm -hmm. I went into my freshman year of high school, six to 200 pounds. So I was, I was always a big kid. Um, but I had gotten up to about 280, 290 pounds. Um, I was taking care of my mom who had Alzheimer's. And at the end of that journey, I was just, I had this like reflection, like, who am I? What do I want? Life is too short. I lost my father early and then I just lost my mom. And so it was just like, okay. And so I started to notice and I started to think about how I wanted to feel and how I wanted to act. And then I started to just eat accordingly. Well, I didn't like the way that I felt when I ate that big plate of pasta and I, you know, I had needed to take a nap. So let me not do that and see what happens, you know? And so it was really, it was awakening because I really started to kind of pay attention. And so when you're working with people, it must be, you know, for me, it's extremely satisfying when somebody starts to pay attention and somebody starts to implement something. And so how do you work with people? Because I know you do a lot of group work. I know you do a lot of public speaking. Do you also do one-on-one -on -one coaching? So what, how do you, you know, help people? Yeah, primarily now it's it's because of the demand. I mean, it's been great, <laughs> but a lot of demand on my on my schedule and time for group for keynotes, for group workshops, for leadership training. And so a lot mm -hmm. of what I'm doing is in the context of a group setting. So I don't currently really have a lot of time to do one on one coaching because it's just, you know, it's very time intensive to do that. Um, I see that happening at one point, whether it's in the form of like a mastermind or, you know, like a small group coaching cohort that mm -hmm. does something monthly. I see myself creating something like that. Um, but currently it's in the context of these, you know, group uh, group experiences that I do with organizations. And it's amazing how by being trained, so I'm a speaker and a facilitator. And so there's an, there's an art and science to both of those things. Yeah, there really are. And facilitation, the really goal of facilitation is to unlock the collective wisdom and insight of a group. Like it's your job to be the catalyst for mm -hmm. that process to happen, not for you, again, to be prescriptive and tell them what to do. And I was doing a workshop recently and um, two things happened. One, there was at the end of the session that I did, um, I had a call with the company a couple weeks later and the CEO was like, so just an update. And he's a really gregarious guy, cares deeply about his people. It's a good place to work. But he was like, somebody put in their notice right after your session. <laughs> so like, could you be good, but not so good? It's <laughs> like, you know, and she had a lot going on. She's a lot of transitions that she's going through. There's a lot of stress in her plate. I think it just really made her realize that in a significant and just couldn't ignore kind of a way. He's like, so just so you, I just want you to know that you're the, the power you have to, to transform well, and impact people. <laughs> well, you know, and that's actually a good thing for the employer as well. It may seem like a negative, but if she had that much going on where it was, she just needed that little bit to then not little bit, but she needed that help to, to kind of understand like, okay, this is a higher priority. Then that's, that's a great thing for the company as well, because more than likely she wasn't as present as 
she needed to be doing that work. So the fact that you're able to unlock these thoughts and to help to people start to facilitate these decisions and think about things in, in a greater capacity is just beneficial for everyone involved, yeah. everyone that that person, you know, is involved with. Well, and the other thing is she said, she said, she was like, I'm really grateful for this. Like she actually acknowledged what it just happened. It was 45 minute presentation. Um, and she was like this, like, I, I appreciate that you brought this to us. Cause like, it made me realize that this, you know, and in other cases I've had, there's a group I was working with, group of project managers um, at a, a, you know, one of the larger um, accounting firms, consultancies and, somebody reached out to me after the session I'd done on burnout, beating burnout, because I burned out myself in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, and, and she reached out and she said, um, I've already made a huge change in my life. And it was like 48 hours after the session. And I was like, what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, well, I realized, um, you know, that I, you know, my job is split. I'm here um in virginia for part of it but then i have to travel to you know somewhere down south every other week and it's really taking a toll on um it's really taking a toll on me and my son you know a single mom and talk to my partner about it after the after your session about what i might do and she said i i went to my boss and i had a conversation to say like you know i something needs to change and so i've been rolled off the traveling part of my work and now I'm just based here locally. This all happened within a matter of days. And she said, Rachel, I slept better last night than I have in a year. Mm. Isn't that wonderful? Just to be able to give somebody that power to say, go ask for what you, you know, think about what you need and then, yes. and then, and then go ask for it. You know, if you have, obviously has, she has a great employer who said, yeah, we can make that switch. And it doesn't sound like it was a hard switch <laughs> because it happened that, that yeah. quick, but we never know. We never know what the answer is going to be until we ask, but how many times do people think about what it's going to be or what somebody's going to say? Mm -hmm. And then, and then we don't allow ourselves to ask that question because we already know the answer. Right. That, that's what muting is, right? So we mute ourselves at work. We're like, oh, I'm really struggling but nobody can know because then they're going to fire me. Or I really need, I really need a change to happen because I just am about to crack. <clears throat> but if I do that, then they're going to think I can't handle it. Or like we, we tell ourselves, or if I ask for that, I, they're not going to say yes. And you know, I used to do that so much. And so <laughs> when I, you know, being in a position with, uh, with one of the last companies I was working with before I came here was a great insurance company. And I was in charge of all of their specialty divisions. So real niche places of, you know, trying to find people. And I was really only supposed to, you know, probably have 10 to 14 recs at any given point, because it was just, there was a, a lot that went into finding people. And at one point I had gotten up to 21 recs. Um, but I was afraid to, not afraid because I wanted more for myself. Yeah. So because I wanted these different things to achieve, I didn't want to say no, because I didn't want to look like I couldn't handle the work that was in front of me. But okay. really what ends up happening is, is that I stopped working out because instead of going to the gym at 5am, I would just wake up at 4.30 and just start working because yeah. I had so much to do. And yeah. so I stopped taking care of myself. My stress level went up. 
And then I was just like, what am I doing? And I had to reel that back in. But there are times that we can, we can let that slip away, regardless of how conscious that we're trying to be. Um, And we don't even realize it because we have these insecurities about like, well, I, I can't say no. And then you hear people saying no, and you're just like, wow, that's so powerful. I wish I could do that. And you just, but you have to stick up for yourself because nobody else is going to, especially yeah. in the corporate environment, you have to be able to say, hey, listen, I'll do this, but that's going to take priority over something else. So let's make this decision. Yes. it's a, And what you said there, I think was really important of a let's, like we're in this together. Let's make this decision. How can we come up with a way that'll work for both of us? Mm-hmm. Most people are not going to come back with a response to that question and say, like, you know, suck it up and figure it out. Most people that have any emotional intelligence mm-hmm. <laughs> are not in any leadership skill at all are going to respond to that more. So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, what do we need to bring somebody else in? Do we need to if it's a client related thing, do we need to let the client know there's going to be a delay of a day or two of getting this to them? Like mm-hmm. we're often so afraid. And I was, too. I mean, when I, I burned out and got Epstein-Barr virus, which is an acute form of mono. Oh, wow. Uh, four years ago, because I just drove myself to the ground. Yeah. And I had to send the scary email to our CFO, who was my boss and the CEO, and to say, look, you know, unchecked, this Epstein-Barr virus can have significant neurological damage. It can lead to things like lymphomas. I mean, I'm like, when when a doctor starts to use those words to you, you're like, oh, this is serious. It's time for me to pay attention. Like, uh, it's unfortunate that it takes... such an extreme conversation to realize that you got to change. But I did. And I said, I need help. Mm -hmm. I can't keep doing this by myself. I need to scale back. I can't have any meetings until all my meetings have to start 10 a.m. or later. That's not like a comfortable thing to have to say to people. But I was Mm -hmm. sleeping 11 or 12 hours a night for months and not feeling rested because that's what that's what mono does to you. Like you are just wiped. Um, and so I couldn't wake up at eight o'clock for a meeting and function. And I had, I knew, only I knew that. Mm-hmm. And I'd been there 10 years, you know, so I did have some, a, a bit of a track record and credibility yeah. under my belt. But like at the same time, it was still uncomfortable and they were very gracious and, and kind and almost even protective of me. Like, are you, is this too much for, you know, they started to, that's good, you know, be aware of that kind of stuff. You know, but it's crazy because, so I'm 47 and I kind of grew up in this era in this corporate environment where you didn't say these things, you just worked Mm -hmm. and it didn't matter if it was 50 hours a week or 60 hours a week, you just did whatever you needed to, to be able to continue to do the things that you wanted to do. And that was the culture. I think, especially when I talked to, you know, kind of, people my age and a little bit older that it was it was just you you kind of went through this grind and it's refreshing that people are now like this is not okay (laughs) like I need balance in my life in order for everything to really be healthy and functioning the way that it's supposed to because if if when things are out of balance um then nothing's really in balance you know and uh um yeah And so go ahead. So now you've gone through uh, a lot listening to as a kid, all of these different things that you've kind of gone through. And then just recently, I mean, you went through another 
huge event while you were running, right? Like, yeah. I, I mean, and so maybe you can tell people kind of what happened and kind of where are you with that journey? Yeah. So it's like whenever anyone says to you, ever felt like you got hit by a truck? Uh, well, as like, a matter of fact, actually, I wish the answer was no, but yes, um, it was May 3rd of 2020. So I'm coming up on a year and I was out running with my husband and it was like noon on a Sunday. So it was kind of an overcast day and, um, you know, just pretty quiet, pretty quiet Sunday afternoon. And we were out on a run in our, you know, in our neighborhood, going to another neighborhood and got to an intersection. There was a white Chevy Silverado in the right-hand turn lane that was stopped. So, you know, sometimes you're approaching an intersection of cars coming to a rolling stop and you're like yep. much more aware. But when someone is stopped at an intersection and you have the solid white little person cross signal telling you to go and the light is red, you're like, all right, all signs say go here. And my husband ran across in front of me. We were maybe 10 feet apart, close enough to be talking. And uh, I followed him. And all of a sudden, I was I was halfway, I was in the middle of the truck when he decided to take a right-hand turn on red. Mm. And I, I just had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to go. And so I turned to face him to like slam my hands on the hood to be like, hot, like, hello, person here, light is red, what are you doing? Um, and he didn't, I don't know how, but he didn't see me right away. And so um, he kept going and I don't, I don't know how far, 10 to 20, feet maybe that he drove and then he realized there was a person on his on the front of the, in the hood of his car and he stopped and when he stopped I slid off and I landed really 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 hard on like my on my feet and kind of like a you know um and yeah and like a jolting type of it was like this jolting position and then I stumbled backwards there was a bit of a hill I stumbled backwards and I landed on like my elbow my back and I and all of a sudden I just started just wailing. I mean, I felt like I got the wind knocked out of me. I, it was this, I remember it happening in slow motion. I still have no idea what the driver looks like. I didn't see, I didn't see his face ever. Um, my husband did cause he happened to turn around as it was happening. Cause he, you know, you can sense in your periphery if something's moving and he could sense that it was moving. So he saw the whole thing. My husband saw the whole thing happen. Wow. Um, and, and so I just was yelling, Oh my God, I got hit. I got hit. I got hit. And then I was taken over to a sidewalk, um, just kind of like just hunched over. I mean, I, I was I was in so much pain. And then all of a sudden, all these people came out of nowhere, all had masks on, you know, it's COVID. And someone's holding my hand. Someone's, you know, they're encouraging me. And then somebody called the, you know, an ambulance. We didn't have our phones on us because we don't run with them. And so they come and they put me on a board and put one of those things on my neck because whenever something's happening to someone's back, of course, yeah, they, they have to stabilize you. They stabilize, and then I got taken to a trauma room at a nearby hospital. I was there for nine hours, um, and found out I had a compression fracture in my back. Um, and it's really hard when a radiologist with mm, kind of minimal bedside manner comes into a room full of blinking lights where you've been lying for two hours, still having this thing on your neck, um, with no one can come visit you because of COVID, um, yeah. and says so there is a fracture in your in your back and i i just started crying you know because i'm like you automatically think in those situations worst case scenario yeah like yeah. what is this what does this mean like i knew i could feel my leg like i knew i had you know that was all good Feeling signs still feel. in the legs yeah. yeah feeling in my leg that i could i could feel you know then they'd put me on a bunch of pain meds obviously so i there are other i'm sure i wasn't fully aware of the pain um yeah. 
but I was just so devastated. And then, and then uh, I was like, oh my God, I need surgery. Like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to need surgery? Am I going to yeah. stay here? What? And he's like, well, we have to do an x-ray and figure out. And so um, other things that are going on. And so eventually, you know, I had people coming in and out of the room all day. And there was this, just this godsend, this woman named Ashley Simpson, like Jessica Simpson's sister. <laughs> but um, she came in and she saw a little after the radiologist came in and I was crying and she was like, you know, kind of like, you know, baby, what's going on? You know, just this really sweet kind of nurturing. And, and I was like, I have a fracture in my back. And, um, and, and, and she's like, oh, she, I forget exactly what she said, but something to the extent of like, oh, you're, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It's, it's like the, it's like the best kind of fracture, the best kind of, you know, non-displaced compression fracture. So, you know, um, basically the bone just gets, you know, scrunched. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and she starts to tell me her story of how, you know, when I was, I had to relearn how to walk in my early twenties and I was like, mm? <laughs> she had had lesions on her brain. Um, and didn't know she had all these symptoms. She was, you know, would be vomiting and like have all these things that were happening. Couldn't explain it. it you know, um, her weight was fluctuating and found out she had lesions on her brain that she had to have removed. And as a result of that, she had to relearn how to like walk normally. And she's telling me the story. And then she's telling me about how, um, shortly after getting out of that, I mean, she was, I think in, in, in you know, hospital and, you know, for, getting pretty intensive care for what sounded like about a year or so. Yeah. She finishes that a couple months later is walking to her aunt's house thing for like a cookout. Gets hit by a motorcyclist. I'm like, are you absolutely kidding me? So she ends up at the hospital. Nothing was broken. And she's like, I think this is a sign that maybe she had thought about going back to school. She's like, I think this is a sign that maybe I'm supposed to be doing something <laughs> with medicines. I keep ending up in hospitals. Um, and so she became, it's either, she's either physician's assistant or nurse practitioner. I realize those are very different. Um, I think she's a PA in the neurology unit of this hospital now. So someone who's gone through her own neurological stuff. And then, so for her to say that, she's like, you're going to be okay. It was like, I find what I do in my work is to give people hope is to be a catalyst for hope by sharing yeah, my yeah. own journey and inviting them to see, um, potentially possibility in their own and just her saying that to me, like I believed her. She had credibility mm -hmm. in saying, "You'll you'll be okay." And she was such an encouragement. And that was I, I see a somatic therapist who does mind body integration, um, helping me process the trauma of what happened because that was I think I diminished the fact that yes, getting hit by a truck and fracturing your back is traumatic. Yeah, 100%. in case you weren't in case you weren't aware, Rachel, <laughs> and and. <clears throat> She asked me at one point, when did you know you were going to be okay? When did you know you were okay? Mm. And I said, when Ashley had that conversation with me, that was my first glimmer of hope. It really, it really is powerful, the messages that people have and that people can give us. And so while not nearly as traumatic, but I had a hip replacement mm -hmm. and um, from running because it turns out I had arthritic hips. And after my mom passed, I decided that I was going to run a half marathon. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> I was the guy in football that would have to run my two mile time trial during the middle of double sessions because I could never make it. And so I was that guy. And here I am deciding that I'm going to run a half marathon. Um, and I did it, but I, I, 
this was back when I was just unhealthy and, and I was starting that journey and I completely just damaged my leg from bad running and not being, you know, not having the strength to do that. But my buddy who was uh, um, uh, a physician's assistant um, at, uh, at the orthopedic place that I went to told me, he said, listen, you're young and there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do this in one day. He's like, you can go home from this. You don't have to stay overnight. And I was like, really, Hank? And he was just like, 100%. <clears throat> and so that whole day, I was just like, I'm going home. And I just, I was like, I'm going to do whatever I need to so that I can go home because I would just rather be at home. And I went in at 4 a.m. and I left at 4 p.m. Wow. And then the next day, he says to me, you're still using the walker? And I was like, Hank, I just had a hip replacement. And he's like, but there is nothing that happened that is holding you back from being able to stand up on your own. Oh. Because, you know, the, now that the, that the hip had, the ball was cut and I had that new, you know, that new hip in there, I had everything. They don't, they don't cut any muscles. They don't do any of that. So it was just like, he's like, you can do this. And so I was like, let me try it. And I did it. And I, so, you know, it's amazing what people give us that hope. They give us this idea yeah. of being able to do something that we put our own self-limiting thoughts on because it's like we take other people's opinions and we take other people's thoughts and we take other people's kind of reactions and we bring them into our worlds and we don't, you know, kind of allow ourselves to just do what, what we can or to, yeah. To, to speak our truths and to do all of the stuff that is just, you know, natural for us. Yeah. And I mean, I guess as I'm hearing you say that, I would encourage anyone who's listening right now to think of who is someone who has given you hope. Yeah. And have you expressed appreciation? Like, I'm going to write Ashley a note. It might even be for the one year, I don't know, send flower. I want to do something, but just send her something to let her know that her words were like medicine to me yeah. that day that really soothed my soul in a way that I don't know what else could have. Well, because if you think about it, right, like everything happens when we change our mindset. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if we, if we only think about this, then that's exactly what's going to happen. So the fact that she was able to help you with that mindset, which is now what you give to other people, right? But it's that exploration of something different that allows them to see themselves differently and to do things differently. And so um, it is, it's wonderful when somebody can make that impact for you. Well, yeah. And the cool thing is too, with this, I mean, I know you had someone on the podcast previously talking about grief and I've, I've done a lot of just exploring more of that work and that process and incorporating that into the work that I do now, letting people know, Hey, what's been happening in the past year, there's yeah. been a grief process. There's been shock and denial and frustration and sadness and, and acceptance maybe but not for many and the sixth lesser known stage of grief according to david kessler is meaning making and so i remember laying in the ho lay laying in the hospital bed thinking to myself there is something here about i don't know if this is some sick thing that speakers do whenever something bad happens you're like oh, I use this this is material this is material like this is how we think it's really messed up but i rem I, I remember having the thought in the in the hospital there's something here about rising up when we get knocked down and I'm going to talk mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. 
And so now I do a keynote called I'm Still Standing, Rising Up with Resilience When Life Knocks You Down. <laughs> so I'm like, I love you know, it. the heck with you, Chevy Silverado. I'm going to find a way to use this. And so, you know, whether that means singing, singing Rise Up or singing I'm Still Standing or singing other things like that in the workshops and keynotes that I do as a yeah. way to connect. And, and for me, I... I lost basically all of the forms of of stress outlets when that happened. I was going to ask you because I can only imagine, you know, as somebody who exercises on a regular basis, not only for my physical health, but for my mental health. Yes. I, I'm really curious as to how this last year has been for you because, you know, I'm even sure with that, with that fracture, yeah. is running an option for you? Because um, it sounds like it was something that you did yeah. that is, is you know, um, how, how, how will that fitness look like for you in the future? Um, well, I mean, initially I couldn't bend, lift or twist or do any load bearing or anything. I mean, I like for at least, I mean, I really didn't get cleared until August. The injury happened the first week of May. So that was like my summer, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I could walk. I could walk and I could go to physical therapy. Um, and that was what I could do because the fracture had to be stabilized. The bone had to fill in. Like I couldn't do and anything. You must have had such a, like just such anxiety over <laughs> COVID, not only having to do all of this, but then you, had, you, but you, then you throw COVID and it's just like, I don't really want to go anywhere. Like, I don't want to be exposed to all of these yeah. different things that, and so yeah. a lot of people hibernate, you know, because it's like, I didn't want to, you know, you know, yeah. yeah. And I was in doctor's office. I was in a back brace for two months um, just to stabilize it because I couldn't. I mean, I it was really, you know, kind of very yeah. vulnerable, very vulnerable, especially those first two months. And, you know, so I have an amazing physical therapist and he was so encouraging. I remember the first day I saw him, he it was in late June when I got cleared to go to physical therapy. And um, he said, all right, take the back brace off. And I was like, oh, I'm so scared. Um, and then he's like, all right, I want you to bend. I want you to bend, like, just bend over. Let me see, like, let me see you bend, the bend, bend at your back. And so what it looked like, and if folks may be able to see this, but I basically bent at my hips. I oh. bent at my hips. And he's like, no, 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 like, bend your, and I was like, ain't happening. <laughs> That's not, and at one point he said, okay, show me how you get up off the floor. And I was like, oh, I don't. <laughs> just, yeah. I'm always in a chair or something that I can get up from. I don't get up from the floor. And he goes, well, we're going to fix that today. And I remember how terrified I was of like, no, 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 no. Like I was so, I mean, your back, like this is the, this is the core, your spinal cord is like your lifeline yeah. in your body. And anything that traumatizes that area, talk it's about setting off fight or flight in your brain. Oh my gosh. 100%. I can only imagine being like, I don't want to do this because I don't want to damage anything. Yes. And that's how I felt with my hip. It's just like, we don't know any, like, I can't do any of that. And it's just like, oh, you can do so much. Yes. <laughs> you have no idea. Yes. But we protect ourselves. We do. Right? And that's what it was. It was that I'm protecting, I'm protecting, I'm protecting. And so, and I started, I was really reactive, like symptom of PTSD can be like, when you hear something drop, you hear loud noises that you're super reactive. And so- mm -hmm. You know, it, it took me a while. I didn't start driving again until late August. Um, but through physical therapy, you know, got more and more comfortable and then got cleared, you know. Um, but I am just now being like basically graduating from physical therapy. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to I need to test some things from a running perspective, a little bit of damaged 
to my left ankle because of how I landed. Um, and there was like an edema, there's swelling and stuff. And, and the way he said, you're going to have like, a, you know, oste premature osteoarthritis in that ankle uh. because of this injury. So I would recommend low to no impact stuff, which was a blow because I like running. My husband, and I love to hike. Mm -hmm. So I've been on a treadmill of physical therapy, but it's like 30 seconds on 30 seconds off. So I'm going to go there and see, Hey, what can I do? What, mm -hmm. how far can I go? before there's pain. So I do need to still test that a bit. Um, mm -hmm. And again, this is a year later, I'm just testing this. Yeah. Um, but we got a Peloton in February because I was like, no impact. I have to do something, yeah. And so I like sweat for the first time in a work, I had a workout for the first time in like 10 months in February. And I was like, oh, like just to be able to sweat, something we mm -hmm. I took for granted before yeah. has been like a joy. And, and just to be able to move my body and to feel strength in my, and my legs and, and, and to be able to just, you know, kind of go all out, mm -hmm. relatively speaking, it's, it's such a gift that for anyone really listening, if, if you've been, you know, maybe holding back, I don't really feel like, like, let this be a nudge for you. If you are capable of moving your body, like if you don't have any limitations mm -hmm. that you would like run for us today, like mm -hmm. go for, go for a hike for us today, get on a bike for us today. Like for anybody that maybe can't do what they want to do the way they want to do it, like yeah. to, to recognize what a gift it is. It really is. And, you know, for me, you know, I searched and I, I do a lot of biking um, and I found a lot of fun in that. Um, but what has helped me, I started to enjoy running for kind of getting lost in this space and just, you know, kind of going out for like an hour or an hour and a half and listening to either music or getting lost in my thoughts or thinking about things. And I found that with indoor rower, rowing oh. and through working out, we, I had used like an indoor, like a concept to rower. And um, I always, I never really enjoyed it, but then I started to like it. But oh. now when COVID came, my wife and I were working out at home and brought meditation and I had wanted some meditation and I finally kind of brought that into my practice. <laughs> um, but I was still looking for something kind of like running, even though I'm not going to run anymore. Um, and rowing was that thing because it was like a nice full body workout. You like, you use all the muscles and I could sit on the rower for an hour and kind of get lost in thoughts. I could think about, and that's really my time mm -hmm. mentally, physically. I, sometimes I think about a podcast and I write notes, I get yeah. it, you know, so it's just, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun place to be, but it might be a nice, um, you know, potential thing to, uh, uh, as an alternative, right. Because sometimes it's nice to have some options and stuff like that, but and uh, upper body stuff too. Right. I mean, like, aside from exactly. weights, you're not getting a whole upper body stuff on a bike. Well, and that's the fun thing with, uh, um, with the rower is that you really, it really does work everything. Mm. Um, and so it's been a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And so, so how was it, you know, you've been, it seems like almost all of your life so far, you have been dealing with lots of different adversity. And I think that people need to understand that really we all deal with adversity and grief and, and some, some of us more than others, some of us at different times, but we don't get through life without dealing with something, without going through setbacks, without going through adversities yeah. and, and you being able to share your story and help people in this way is, uh, is really impactful. What's the, 
What's the one thing that, you know, when you kind of take a look at all of this, that you're most proud of? Mm. You know, I would say that I am most proud of my ability to take, I remember I heard this said by Robin Roberts, the ABC anchor years ago, Good Morning America. Yeah. Yep. Um, to make your mess, your message. Mm. And that is I love, what, I like that. Yeah. that's what I do. I take everything that at one point or another was a mess and I try to find meaning in it. Yeah. And I try to share what I've learned in it. And whether it's in my marriage, and that could be a whole other podcast conversation of things yeah. my husband and I have done to, to, to really grow and, 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 and make our marriage really healthy. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, or whether it's in my physical body or whether it's, you know, seeing a somatic therapist who integrates mind and body and helps me process the emotion and the, the, the psychological weight and the, of, of this experience or, you know, whether it's finding functional medicine doctors and then making that part of my mission to let people know that there are practitioners that will listen to you and treat you as a as a person and not a set of symptoms mm -hmm. and you know or whether it's me finding my voice and then that somebody sees me singing on linkedin and then says oh seeing you sing gave me the courage to share a video of me dancing because i love to dance and then that got me clients because they saw the authenticity in me so for me it's taking all of these things that have been challenges and turning them into something that can give another person hope. Yeah. I love that. And it's special and it really, you know, and it's, 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 uh, it almost feels a little, uh, selfish, right? Like, you know, you're giving all of this, these amazing things to people. And it's just like, I still get paid for this, but it feels so good and, uh, and it should, and it, you know, it, it's great for people to be able to, to come away from an experience and, and to, and to see a different version of themselves because, um, you know, we all have a shining star and it's just a matter of, you know, discovering it, developing it, and then giving that back to the world. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I have this at my desk. I have a little like foam star. <laughs> Stop it right now. That is fantastic. I have to get myself one of those because I say that all the time. Like, you know, I didn't, I never used to like think that I was special yeah. until I understood that I was special. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, and that's really what it's all about is that we're all special. We all have something unique to be able to, you know, give to the world. Uh, that is fantastic. I love that. <laughs> well, here's, I, I didn't know this today. I wore my shoes to shop. I, yeah, I saw the, I saw the, the, I was going to ask you if that was the um, <laughs> shining. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. One of them. So how about that? There, there, there. That's a nice. That's a nice bow, huh? That's a nice it, unplanned bow. <laughs> it really is. It really is fantastic. Fantastic. You know, and I know we're coming up on the hour, and I feel like we could go off on a lot of different topics and conversations, and probably spend another hour uh, completely, uh, you know, kind of enthralled in conversation. But I think that it would be great to kind of talk about. Um, Thanks for a, another possible, you know, podcast. They're really yeah. about the the recovery and the mental part of all of what you did, because, you know, while we really didn't talk about that, that's a huge part of, I'm sure, kind of growing up and always kind of dealing with, with that. So um, yeah. uh, I would love to potentially explore that uh, at, at a later date because I think that that's. A pretty, a pretty powerful thing, which only helps you do what you do even more because of having to deal with that kind of growing up and 
and dealing with the situations that you get put in, because I would imagine last year was a tough year, but you still seem pretty positive. And so uh, well, it was my best year ever in business. And that was my first full year of being in business for myself. You know, I oh, launched my business, yeah. you know, in September, 2019, and then COVID hit in March and I was hundred percent live speaking engagements. I had to pivot my entire business. And then six weeks later, I got hit by a pickup truck. So, you know, well, like, <laughs> that wasn't in the plan that I had, but apparently no it was the plan. And, and, you know, this year's well, and even just that. having to pivot, pivot with your business, um, with COVID is, yeah. is a huge pivot, yeah. but then having to, uh, to then deal with, you know, getting hit by a truck, yeah. uh, you know, is wild. It's, um, something. it's something, but you know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. Right. It wasn't necessarily something that I was planning to have happen, but I'm mm -hmm. not going to, you know, I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to yeah. waste it. There's something in there. I'm going to let myself grieve it. I'm going to let myself feel it. I'm going to cry a lot. I cried a lot last year, a lot, oh. a lot, a lot. I was yeah. angry. Mm -hmm. I was all of, I was frustrated. I was discouraged. I was disappointed. <clears throat> I was all of those things. And I let myself be all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I am not going to be a victim of this. And I am not going to let this defeat me. Yeah. And did you find at some point, maybe it's now where, you know, you're able to get to gratitude, regardless of the oh, situation, yeah. oh, just yeah. being grateful for just all of the little things that have allowed these things to kind of come into your life, regardless of the situations, because bad things happen regardless. It's not anything, just bad things happen. Yeah. And, um, but what I found, especially when I was taking care of my mom, I went through all of those stages from resentment and frustration and anger and all of that stuff. But when I found gratitude, that was really what changed my life. Um, because regardless of what I was going through, I was just grateful to give that experience to my mom and yeah. give that comfort to my mom um, and that care. And so when people can find gratitude in bad situations, that's the most powerful thing that they can do for themselves because it, yeah. it really helps mentally, you know, kind of where you're going to get to. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think we can maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll close on that thought. Of, yeah, I think um, that it's a of, of just, I have, I've, I found gratitude in the therapist that I see, I wouldn't have had any reason to find her if I didn't need to find somebody that does what she does. You know, the, the, the gratitude I have for all the people who showed up, who supported and encouraged me gratitude for all the people who have now contacted me to say that seeing my journey and hearing what I've done with it has inspired them in some way. Seeing the, the support and the love of my husband who has been so incredibly self, selfless through yeah. this experience and just being there for me and being present and the doctors that have been patient and, and helped me heal. I mean, I have immense gratitude for for all of all of that. Um, I'm, I'm, I think we can look back at things and say, gosh, you know, I wish my body was as intact as it was on May 2nd of 2020. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the reality is I can accept that that happened um, and I can choose to do something with it. So. Yeah, I love that, Rachel. And listen, uh, you are a shining star and continue to be that shining star for others, allowing, you know, allowing that to be able to be brought out, you know, for them. And so thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for sharing your story with me. Um, I'm extremely grateful for that. It was, uh, it's been a great hour and I look forward to another conversation because this was, uh, this was excellent. I'm in. Thanks so much, Scott. Really appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you.